We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. And the Lakers had a tall task yesterday, playing the team with the best home record in the NBA. And it got a little bit harder, or a lot bit harder, as Anthony Davis exited the game after eight minutes with some flu-like symptoms, had 101-degree fever, tried to play through it, but did not make it. Wenning Gabriel also missed the game. He's going to be out at least a week, as we talked a bit about yesterday. Jared Allen returned and kicked our butts. But the Lakers hung tough for a good portion of the game. It was one of those games where if you woke up this morning and just saw the box score, you'd be like, hey, Lakers got blown out. And in the fourth quarter, they did. But it was a close game throughout. But they just didn't have enough. And then got a game tonight against Toronto. But what were your thoughts, D, on last night's game? This is one of those dregs games to me, particularly like after AD mm-hmm. went out. Like, I thought they battled hard, just like you said. And I thought that they played well. I thought Cleveland almost always seemed in control. And like, for sure, maybe about a half a dozen times, um, I felt like texting both both of you guys, how is the score this? Like, oh, I didn't send it one, like, I didn't send it a single time, but, like, I thought it, I don't know how many times, like, how are the Lakers up by one, Mike? How are they up by three? How are they only down by four when it seemed like Cleveland was just doing almost whatever they wanted? It's interesting that you cited Jared Allen, uh, Pete, because he did return second straight, or not second straight, but second time that a key starter for the other team has had returned and looked absolutely like he hasn't missed any time at all. Yeah. Like Chris Middleton did trip. that in yep. the Bucks game and he looked like sharp as ever. Jared Allen comes and he looks great. I mean, I guess it's hard not to look great when every basket you get is a dunk. Although he did hit a couple of 15 foot footers and he has got a nice floater that I think is floater. underrated, but that's for sure. Another whole other topic. And if we were, do it a Cavs podcast. Maybe we dive into the to the metrics around his floating game. Anyways, I thought the Lakers did not do a very good job on dribble pen well, well penetration. 
And Mm -hmm. I also think it highlighted the fact of how important Anthony Davis is defensively. And so those two things work hand in hand. I think, I think, I think even AD would have struggled some with the level of screen navigation that the Lakers guards were showing last night because they were not staying as connected Mike defensively. And you really need that. If you're going to play in a heavy drop, the way that the Lakers do, you need the guards to get over the top. And there were, I don't know, some like a handful of possessions over the course of the game where I was just like, yes, that's it. Like Dennis did that a couple of times. Pat Bev did it a couple of times, but there was not a lot of consistency in that specific area of the game. And when you've got Mm -hmm. such a strong pull up shooting team like the Cavs, whose guards also are comfortable living in the paint in terms of shooting floaters and finishing at the basket. That symmetry between guards getting over the top and activity from the bigs in the drop are like they're 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 a necessity to be together. And I thought both of them weren't to the level that they needed to be, but it starts with the guards. And so that's kind of where I was with the game and just where in essence, the game was lost if you go outside of the idea that the Lakers didn't didn't have a D. What were you seeing, though? And I guess a more specific question, too, is did you feel any lack of spirit from the team? Because on TV, it sh- like they were competing. Um, but losing a D is a tough thing to battle against. And so what was your sense of that aspect of it and then the game in general? This team, you just can't go past losing ad that that is the whole game that is the whole thing yeah it's that simple i mean i think there are some teams that can lose a star and they've got the personnel to at least approximate what that star does for a game and honestly with this laker team like they can somewhat approximate some of the stuff that lebron does on a given night um as long as they have ad still anchoring other things and they're not going to nearly be as good and of course they couldn't actually win anything without lebron but like the the level to which they depend on AD's rim protection uh, and his presence defensively is so much bigger of a difference than anything else that another team I should say that anything that any other team we could probably think of a couple examples like if Dallas was without Luka right they wouldn't have that mm-hmm. kind of creation and that sort of thing but so i the fact that they were in the game and tied in the fourth quarter was really a testament to just the effort and the scrapping and the offensive rebound and the battling and all that that they did, but ultimately Cleveland still just got whatever they wanted um, on the defensive side of the court. And I think that it, the takeaway for me is like, that's the obvious one. It's that they're not going to be able to do much without AD, but that's the the part of this team that's probably still tenuous. You know, when you think about how much they depend on what he can provide uniquely and how consistent he's been in doing it this year. So no teams winning anything without a star uh, with what uh, what are their two stars, but some teams when they lose the guy that's that's that consequential, um, I think are could be in even bigger trouble. And that's where I thought the Lakers were last night, despite all the effort. Mike, do you think there's anything the Lakers can do about that, whether it's trade market or because I've been saying recently that AD is Atlas, right? Meaning that he got the whole Lakers world on his shoulders. But as his you know, reputation goes, he's somebody that isn't always in the lineup. And it's it's something that if I, I totally agree with your evaluation that a lot of things kind of crumble when he's out is I don't think that you can build a team with the idea that that 
we can be good without Anthony Davis. There's just no path to it. But when we've got this kind of a approaching trade deadline, this trade season, let's call it, where that's one of the things that are really striking to me is that, of course, you can't approximate Anthony Davis, but just the level of drop off is so huge that like, is that just how it is? Or is that something that you look to address in terms of these final stages of uh, building the roster? Well, when you build the roster, you still have to account for a healthy Anthony Davis, like because even if you build a roster to make up for yeah. him and bring in pieces that sort of replace it, you know, that doesn't really work anyway. Uh, but I would say it just goes back to the main issues with the roster that we've had all along. And it's the it's the lack of the two way wings um, and it's the lack of that type of collective coverage that you can bring where maybe you don't have the one rim protector, uh, but you at least have you have more bodies. And I mean, honestly, though, they'd have to almost play a different style. And that comes with continuity and time. And I think they'll yeah. get there. It's like Darvinham working in more of his own defense, which he has some. And, to, you know, mm-hmm. Thomas Bryant, who played really well but it's not a rim protector um, in that sense. Mm-hmm. And then Damian Jones, who can protect the rim in some ways, uh, also doesn't in other ways. So I just, I don't think they have, that's a personnel issue. And, and yes, in, in almost any trade, you could yeah. try to account for it a little bit, but you know, ultimately you're still, this still, this team still has to be, be built uniquely around Anthony Davis. Yeah. One of the things that I would add, Mike, is that in terms of roster and roster deficiencies, I don't necessarily think you, be like, okay, well, this is a guy who can even has a very similar skill set to Anthony Davis, but is just like a $5 million or an $8 million version of him instead mm-hmm. of a $35 million version of him. I actually think the way that you make up for losing a player like Anthony Davis in a very similar way to the way that you make up for losing a player like like LeBron is having higher quality um, third and fourth best players who have the ability to mm-hmm. take on more within the context of their own strengths, right? And and mm-hmm. so I was, I've been watching um, random teams play basketball games. And so no inferences from this at all, guys. So, so don't take any thoughts about this <laughs> at all. But so one of the things I was watching the other day was uh, the Pistons. And I was watching um, Boyan Bogdanovich basically step up and score a ton of points to like Mm -hmm. beat some teams. And I'm just like, oh, look at Bogdanovich. Like he was brought in to be a complimentary player to Cade Cunningham and to sort of support um, some of their other younger players like like Sadiq Bey. And then they just drafted Jaden Ivey and Jalen Duran. Right. Mm-hmm. And these are guys who I think that they see as the future of their team. And Bogdanovich isn't necessarily the future of their team. He's 33 years old. Right. And so but with with those guys maybe struggling and Cunningham out with injury, it's just like, oh, Bogdanovich has the capacity to take mm-hmm. on more, even in the even though on any given game, he might be looked at as like the second option or the third option, right? And so the way that you build, like the way that you account for losing Anthony Davis is some of these other guys who have the capacity to take on more, they actually do need to do more. And so within this version of the Lakers, forget the trade market or anything like that. Within this version of the Lakers, that means Russ. Um, We saw some of that with Thomas Bryant, right? Like um, we'll see what happens with Dennis Schroeder. He had a couple of... um, 
good moments, I thought, in the second half of uh, the game against the Cavs. And all of those guys are going to need to raise their game a little bit. And and Pete and Mike, like that's like LeBron basically said as much in postgame, like next man up mentality. But it is a tall task, as LeBron said, literally and figuratively, when you mm-hmm. lose Anthony Davis. And so to me, it's just like if you're talking about the trade market potentially or or how you replace a, or account for the possibility that a guy like AD might like well might be out it's not finding a shot blocking like do it all power forward center combo freak alien guy it's maybe finding that wing that mike has talked about who can score 20 points on any given night but on but on most nights it's just like hey just score 14 or 16 sure i mean that was cool a couple years ago on our team right where LeBron or AD would go out and he'd have a 20, 25, 30 point game in him. Not every time, but it he had that in him, right? And that was one of the stories I thought of last night was that Austin struggled, Lonnie struggled, uh, just our jump shooting in general. We So that's something I, I kind of want to pivot the conversation toward is, Mike, your position on this is, is well known and I mostly agree on it. But this was the ninth time that this season that we've shot under 30% from three. And it was the third time that we've shot under 20% from three. And so... To me, the 30% mark is that like magic number. You know how you always say that, you know, difference between 33% and 40% is a couple of shots. But I do think there's a floor to it that this was similar. If you look at our three point shooting numbers this game and then the game at Phoenix, those were two of those sub 20% three point shooting nights where a lot of our guards and a lot of our supplementary role players, that's not really what the main thing that they do as shooters. And so, while I, I agree with your point, Mike, I do think that there's a level of frequency to it that having some more shooting on the roster, I do think is when we talked about the like, what do we need? Uh, I That is something that pops up to me that we just need to be able to not dip below 30 percent that often. Yeah, I don't know exactly what point we're debating here. Uh, I mean, I so, for example, like Lonnie Walker was over five from three. He's been a really good three point shooter. You know, so he's mm-hmm. so like you don't take him out of the game. Um, in terms of the personnel, though, like Beverly and Schroeder together doesn't make a ton of sense for me. And mm. and that's it's not because of the like part of it is because of the shooting, but it's just in general they're You know, you're playing Beverly as a wing and he's just not shooting the ball well, which historically he has always shot the ball fine. Um, he would tell you great, especially from the corner in terms of the shooting. <laughs> uh huh. But. Like that to me is where, you know, the difference between Troy Brown and either Beverly or Schroeder as a shooter is significant. And maybe that makes some of the difference. Mm-hmm. Then again, Austin Reeves have been shooting 40% from three. If on low volume for much of the year, he was over four and just didn't seem to have legs uh, in this game other than a couple of and one plays. So the team in the team in general has been 37% from three, the last 10 games, uh, which is perfectly fine, which is, you know, in the, either in the middle or in the upper half of the league. And that's sort of been my point is that they have enough. Like, would they, if you got a couple of dead eye knockdown three point shooters, fine, but chances are that they don't play defense. And then the Lakers wouldn't be as good in general for other reasons. So um, I, mm-hmm. I just am, that's my general point about the shooting is that if, as long as you have guys that can knock them down, but if you play too many guys that have no gravity or just aren't shooting the ball well, then yeah, you're going to mm-hmm. lose some games because of that. Even if you were in the game in, in, in part because those guys were out there scrapping 
um, and fighting and playing. So I don't, I don't know mm-hmm. if you have to pick one or the other, but the thing that I come down to is the lineup choices of playing Beverly and Shooter uh, probably a little bit too much and, and you know giving some more of those minutes to one other bigger guy who can at least get cleaner looks at threes. Yeah, like Beverly to me is the guy whose role is trickiest because he has a mentality, Pete, that I think the coaching staff likes. Mm-hmm. And I think it's reflected in what his role is on the team. So I haven't had any conversations with anyone on the coaching staff, but in the same way that you that I always say, show me. Well, the coaches are showing me with some of their lineup choices. And Pat Bev is a starting mm-hmm. player for the Los Angeles Lakers. So I think that they value him. In fact, let's go to break here because on the other side, I want to talk a little bit more about Pat Bev in general. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So like I said, Pete, like the coaches are showing us what they think of Pat Bev. Um now, he's not a high-minutes player, but he is a starter. And mm-hmm. to Mike's point, that means he's playing a fair amount of minutes with Dennis because Dennis is starting as well. And there is that floor that you talk about in terms of shooting. The Lakers are purposefully, to a certain extent, they are purposefully positioning themselves to live at or underneath that floor in some of the lineups that they're choosing, right? Because the success rate of these players from beyond the arc is what it is. It's on tape. It's reflected in the score sheet. And it's it's like, go to basketball reference and you'll see it. It's right there. Um, And so Bev to me is the pivot point for this conversation because he, he has value as a defensive player from a mindset perspective and all of this other intangible stuff. But as I've said and written about with Pat Bev before, at some point, intangibles need to be superseded by tangibles Mm -hmm. right and there's not been enough of that particularly offensively and that's kind of where i'm at with that like 
is Bev this glowing, because I'm going to own this right now. Like, I've been pretty biased against him. Like, just in terms of, like, I don't think he should be be, be playing as much. I, like, I think his his offense is, is harmful in a lot of ways, but not, not only because of the misses, but because of the shots he's turning down and the way the defense treats him. And there's a, there's like this whole variable list of variables that come into, to play here. So Bev is one of those guys that stands out to me, but I don't know if he takes up that, that much attention in your guys' minds as he does, does in mine, because he's living there rent free a lot for me at least. <laughs> yeah. I, I just, I want to circle back to the main point that we started the podcast with. And I think this has to do with the shooting as well. And that Anthony Davis was kicking teams' asses so much in the paint that they were having to devote extra resources to it. And those threes that they were getting 100%. were all just a little bit more open. And while some of the, the threes they missed were just simply wide open threes, and a couple of the ones like where Lonnie was in the corner, where Beverly was out there, but other ones were sort of, well, we're not getting a lot of offense going elsewhere. And it would be kind of the ball would swing around and eventually someone would kind of have to take a three. And those out-of-rhythm threes are just bad shots relative to what they had been getting. So once again, yeah, we can point to the shooting, and that's a big reason why they lost the game. Um, but like the Cavs were 7 for 27 from three. The Lakers were 6 for 36. And that's that's a bit of a difference. But that's also, the, again, the, like the Cavs got 70 points in the paint. The Lakers got 52. And, and that's the equation. So mm-hmm. I just think it's always important to mention that part of the context. It's, it's Pete, though. That, that was more of the question for you because Darius just weighed in on it. It's the how much do you for, include the shooting in it, but just in general, how much do you want to play Beverly and Shooter like next to Walker um, as as the choice of a lineup? Yeah, it's something that all of it's tied together. And like when we've been at our worst this year, we've been small and we can't shoot and you can't be both like you can't win in the NBA. If you're going to have a small group out there, you got to be able to scorch the nets because there are so many aspects of basketball that require a certain degree of size and physicality to win that box out or win that tap out rebound. And all these things sound small, but they're absolutely what wins and doesn't win games. And so Bev in particular, like that <laughs> a lot of the rationale that's been given for his starting in particular is that he starts the game with a certain mindset that catalyzes the whole team defensively d and we have not been as good when he's been out of the lineup defensively um but speaking of shooting under 30% we're past a quarter of the of the season he's under 30% from the field he's low 20s from 3 and then, you know, just as harmfully as as you pointed out, D, he's passing up a ton of shots. And so to me, if you're going to, especially with the existing issues elsewhere, like that, I agree with Mike, that, that that's that pivot point spot where I'd love to see that Dennis Lonnie, Troy Brown group. And then if that, that's, that second unit, that Russ unit in particular when we're healthy is built around two bigs and Russ can size up for a guard. Bev can size up for a guard and you got two bibs, bigs back there. I think that's just more of a, a natural fit, but um, yeah, I think that's a big, a big part of it is he's that, that spot that identifies the, the, um, or he, he's that spot that, that I'd identify as that reason we're small and can't shoot is largely because Pat Bev is shooting 22% from three while playing the three spot a, a good portion of the time. And so, and then just one last thing to circle back on the roster. I don't think we need a bunch of guys. I just think we need one guy who would be the best shooter on this team 
because I think that would slot Lonnie and Austin and guys like that into more appropriate spots. Like those, Mike, the, you brought up the idea that uh, stat about Lonnie shooting over the last, you know, certain number of games and then Austin shooting as well. I try to separate out the San Antonio and Detroit type of games from the Cleveland and Phoenix type of games. And I think if you did that, the numbers would be pretty stark difference. And so I just think somebody who makes jump shots as their job is somebody that would be super helpful in terms of slotting everybody else more appropriately into uh, into the right spot on the team. Yeah. And this is where it gets tricky because the stuff that Pat Bev does well like so Pete you talked about being small and and can't shoot and some of the things about being small like the tap out rebounds or the box out those are actually things that Pat Bev does so he sure. and and the scrambling for a loose ball and the knocking the ball away and those are those are all quote unquote winning plays and it's one of the reasons why his plus minus is what it is or that his on offs are what they are but you see the difference in offensive production just like with his on-offs. And and that's the equation that needs to be addressed. And so when you talk about the shooting and bringing it back now to some fictional player, right, that that we're discussing here, uh, that variance that you discussed with a guy like Lonnie or a guy like Austin where their defensive asks go up, right? And and then – the the level of defense that they're facing individually also goes up that I don't want to say that like that pressure is like breaking them, but it's just like the, the it, it's it's what makes the game harder. And, yeah, it's and, a big ask. Yeah. Yeah. And it's why like stars and superstars are what they are, because the the context of those situations does not impact them as much as a role player. And I think one of the things I'm looking for in any potential player, new addition, right, that might come to to the team, is this idea of you are, there's less variance in your game, depending mm-hmm. on what the situation is or We can it. rely on you to do yeah. this. Is that jump shooting in your mind or is it beyond it, that? Y- yeah, I think that jump shooting is super important there. And then also too, like that floor that you talked about in terms of um, shooting, there's also a floor to me in terms of like defensive reliability. 100%. And you can't dip below that floor either. Nope. For me, and it's a tough, a lot, a lot, like Mike was saying, a lot of times that guy who is that three point shooter is exactly the same player that's going to dip you below that defensive floor. Yeah. And that's exactly right. And so I'm not trying to claim that there's like a hundred of these guys in the league and the Lakers could just go and get one for a second round pick. Like that's not how this mm-hmm. works. Right. Nope. And, and so I'm not trying to make it seem easy or anything like that. And a lot of times, building out an NBA roster or a functional NBA lineup that can win at a level that is requisite with what your team goals are as a franchise like the Lakers, it's whack-a-mole. It's just like, well, how can we minimize, like, okay, let's take these weaknesses and how can we, like, minimize them just a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more so that the overall level of your floor goes up and up and up to the point that your stars then push you over the top. And – 
this version of the roster, I think there are just some critical parts where they do live they do live beneath that floor just a little mm-hmm. bit too often. And yep. it's tough to say how you rebalance that out, Mike. Like when you're cooking a good meal or baking a cake, as Pete has said before, like all of those ingredients do do need to be in balance. And if you add too much of this, it's gonna maybe pull you in a direction where you lose something else. And it's like, it's not an easy job. And it's why a president of basketball operations is like, you know, under such scrutiny because every decision is, comes with a certain amount of, of like, Oh my goodness, this could wreck my team (laughs) if it goes wrong. So while you guys were, or while you were talking there, um, I was getting all of the injury updates that are, that are well by the time people listen to the podcast right you will have already breaking seen news tweeted. um yeah breaking uh-huh. news from like three hours ago or whatever it might be um but <laughs> basically not a lot of not a lot of guys will be playing right so davis is going to be out with um non the non-covid illness lebron's not going to play because of left ankle soreness mm. beverly is doubtful um with right knee soreness and then we already know that gabriel is out so, you know, it's especially in the second night of a back-to-back, Darius wrote about Toronto in his game preview and some of the difficulties that they present. Uh, I, you know, I get it in terms of LeBron has been really sore with the ankle and AD clearly not playing well enough to even finish a game. And they still do have the chance, I think, to kind of gear up, get refocused, try to get to 4-2 and two on the trip, um, try to win at Philly, try to win at Detroit. But it's going to be it's going to be a tough game in Toronto, you know, unless Russ really has one of his throwback to five years ago, just chaotic, do everything. And, and he almost did it in Charlotte last year, if you guys remember, until yeah, Schmidt that was a fun came one. in. Yeah. Right? Do you think he starts? And, uh, and basically. <laughs> oh, that's an interesting question. Do you, uh, yeah. do you think he starts, Mike? Yeah. Yes. Well, OK, so hold on. Now, let me let me just rethink this for a second, because you do have Schroeder. And Darwin does like him in that spot. So I guess he could still do the sort of come in after three minutes and just sort of maintain the the sanctity of that. And, you know, you still you start like uh, it'd be let's see, it'd be Dennis and Austin and Lonnie and Bryant. And then who's starting at the four? Yeah, I mean, I don't Gordon know. You, you're running, out of, you're running <laughs> yeah. out of guys pretty quickly. But I wanted you guys to react against to a that bunch just, of big wings. Because, yeah. <sighs> Honestly, Mike, I've had this game circled as a schedule loss for quite some time since this schedule came out, really. Um, I think this was a really tough back-to-back in which the Cleveland game, you know, only the team with the best home record in the NBA, that was the more winnable of the two games. Toronto is also very good at home. They're 9-3 and three versus 3-9 three and nine on the road. Yeah, so this has, been a, this has been a game I've had as a schedule loss for quite some time. Um, and uh, so I'm fine with it. Uh, you know, let's let's get those games against Philly. Let's get the game against Detroit. Maybe we could surprise him, D. But I have I've had very low expectations, which with Mike's news just there got a whole lot lower. So, well, this is where, and hear me out here. This is where I actually I love these sorts of games, and I bet the coaches sort of in their heart of hearts sort of love this sort of game too, where it's just like you know. All my all my horses are staying in the stable this game. And I'm just going to be like, hey, let's go out. Let's have fun. Let's we're gonna play the dudes. Like, like we only have nine guys now. All y'all gonna play 
All y'all gonna get 15 to 20 minutes tonight. Mm -hmm. Everyone can play free and loose. And that idea of no one expects us to do anything tonight. And so to speak to your question earlier, or my own question about whether Russ starts, I bet he doesn't start actually. And I bet he does come in around the three minute mark. I would probably start some ultra small version like of um, Dennis and Lonnie and probably Austin and Troy Brown and then TB, right? And it's like this this revolving door of like, okay, well, in comes Russ and he's going to come in with JTA and, and like whoever, like whoever, sure. right? Because this is just the group that's going to just run up and down and almost play a very similar style to what Toronto plays and like live in that environment. And then Russ is going to come in and I feel like he's just going to try to wreak havoc and do Russell Westbrook stuff. And those games in their own way are fun. I don't care what the scoreboard says at the end. It's just sort of like, we're going to go out there and compete and do what we do and, and just try to make it happen. I think there's an evaluative component to it as well. Like a guy like JTA, Mike, hasn't gotten legitimate ships in several weeks. Uh, Kendrick Nunn has been out of the rotation, right? You got Damian Jones got some run in the last game. And I think that these guys in, uh, I guess it's not if LeBron and AD doesn't play, this is, doesn't apply. But I do feel like we know what we are more than we did when those guys were getting ships right at the beginning of the season. And so I am interested to see how do those guys who haven't been getting playing time, who certainly will as a result of all of these guys sitting, like who plays well, who what are the two and three man groupings that show a little bit more chemistry now that we know a little bit more of who we are? And so just it's, you know, I don't have any expectations for a win, Mike, but I do think that stacking small W's, this is a chance for a small W tonight, even if it's not on the uh, on the scoreboard to that can be a, we can learn lessons that are applied to future games. I think the hope for a game like this, and it's somewhat cynical, but it's that the other team doesn't take you that seriously. And again, this goes back mm -hmm. to my days of working for the Timberwolves when they were able to win a bunch of games when the other team just sort of tricked it off, thinking like, eh, I don't really want to get up for this. Now, I don't think that happens with the Lakers, even when guys are out. And that's just part of being the Lakers. And, and generally, it's a good thing. And especially with Westbrook, and we'll see if Beverly plays, he's doubtful. But especially with Westbrook out there, like you're always going to get a certain level of having the other team's attention. Uh, and this is a competitive group of Raptors players anyway. <laughs> these are guys that play hard. These are guys that that I don't think just sort of take the night off. So if you remove that possibility, um, then it really just does come down to guys enjoying the increased usage that they have and being scrappy, which is part of the reason why I wish Wenyan Gabriel were playing. Because uh, And by the way, remember Wenyan? Uh, Wenyan was yep. key in the win last year um, at Toronto? Yep. At in least Toronto. I remember that. Yep. Uh, now, of course, I... I should fact check it while we're talking here, but there are, there are a couple of things that the Lakers I think can still do well and a couple of problems that they can present. And one of them Darius laid out was, was just not turn the ball over and let Toronto get up and down in transition. So can Schroeder and Russ and the ball handlers keep things in the half court and then still try to run off of Raptors misses. And if they can do that and just kind of keep the game close, then, then who knows what happens down the stretch. But you know, certainly the Raptors are going to be favored heavily uh, to win this game. And they should. They should win this game. The Lakers just have to have to hope that uh, they can piece together a couple of things enough to stay in the game. You know, Pete, per cleaning the glass, Toronto has the worst half-court offense in the entire league. So wow. one of the things that Toronto does to win basketball games, and Toronto's 500, 
they've lost three of their last four. Now they've played some tough games and against some tough, tough opponents, but they've gotten some of their guys back, like Siakam's back, Barnes, Barnes is back. They're still without Otto Porter. They're still without Precious Achua, but they've got, they've got guys. But one of the things that they do in order to win games is they win the possession game, right? So they're great on the offensive glass. They're great at forcing turnovers and then they live in transition, right? And so now one of the ways, and Pete, you know this because like you've coached small ball teams, right? But one of the things you love to do when a team loves to run, you run right back at them. You run on a running team. Yep. That's one of the basketball, uh, one of the rules. Yep. Yep. It's so one of the things I'm interested in seeing is the Lakers basically saying, okay, well, this is what this is the style of game you want to play. Well, how's it look when it's all of this? And Darvin, I'd love it if he if he pulled Dennis and Russ aside before the start of this game and was just like, hey, man, it's 48 minutes of hell this game. Like we're gonna run, 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 run. I know we've only got nine guys, but we're gonna we're gonna go after it as best we can. And we're gonna play small, we're gonna play fast, and we're gonna attack. And I'm not saying that's gonna lead to a win, but I think it could make for a very entertaining basketball game. Sure. All things considered, with the Lakers top guys all sitting out this game. You mentioned that Toronto has the worst half court offense in the league per cleaning the glass. I would imagine that the Lakers half court offense would be even worse if they played a bunch of games with without LeBron James and Anthony sure. Davis, right? <laughs> so I think both teams have motivation to get out and run. And of that of that mind, they're probably gonna crash the glass on us. They do it a lot against other teams. And we're a team that teams do that against us more than other teams because we play so small. So that's something that if that's one of the ways you can make a team pay for crashing the glasses. If you do get the defensive rebound, you got numbers and an advantage going the opposite direction. So might be a, a high scoring one in transition or a low scoring one in half court. We shall see tonight. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow to talk about that. And then I would love, I've been dying to do uh, like net ratings, just numbers type of pod. Uh, and so depending on how tonight's game goes, I'd love to do that for tomorrow's pod. So if you guys got any numbers you want to bring to the table, please do for tomorrow. Uh, but until then, you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic got it. Magic fires. It's good. The Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. Van Exel to win it. It's on the way. Good. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, two, one. Miss it. Unbelievable. It's over. Shot clock now to five. Bryant. Yes. And that was a little tough to Albert Gentry. That is.
insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.